0: Hello there, folks, and welcome back once again. It's been a long time but I've managed to drag Sam Volkering back to Boobs Booms Bus, the podcast where we drink beer, rate beer, and discuss various financial market events. Coming up in the show, we will be discussing how many affairs it is uh, appropriate to have at the office if you work at a oil and gas major company uh we'll also be talking about some of the crazy stuff that's going on in the crypto world and of course all of the ai shenanigans plenty of geopolitical stuff we can go into too um all sorts really but first off sam tell us where have you been for the past year well
1: i was i was going to say that you've dragged me kicking and screaming back to this podcast but that's just not the truth i'd I'd be talking about my two-year-old if that was the case um (laughs) I've 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 moved. I've moved. I've left the UK. I have got out of uh, Rishi's resurgent UK and moved to Portugal, where the politicians here are only slightly corrupt. Um, so <laughs> so <laughs> sunny, uh, three hundred days a year of sun i have been promised and as i was saying to my wife today i am going to count those and if i don't get my 300 days of sun i am going to complain to the tourism board of portugal that they have been falsely advertising their country um yeah get a it, refund yeah i i well so moving down here surprisingly is relatively cheap compared to Trying to get visas and stuff in the UK, so it's not much to refund, to be honest with you.
0: Oh, nice! Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. I've been to Lisbon a lot over the past year, going to various uh, crypto events because uh, so many crypto bros have moved over to Portugal and not just to Lisbon as well.
1: Wow! No, that's true. There's a few down here, but um, the the, it is definitely a tech bro scene up in Lisbon, from what I'm I'm led
0: to believe. Yeah, one hundred percent. Uh, yeah, very interesting city, Lisbon. I do think, uh, yeah, I think I'd definitely prefer to be in Brazil than to be in Portugal, but, uh, you know, you can't complain compared to the weather we're getting in the UK, that's for sure. Um, before we do start on the on the news and such, Sam, what are you drinking this evening? You got any, anything yeah. Portuguese? Oh,
1: do I what? So, uh local brewery, uh, reasonably local to me, called Algarve Rock, I am working my way through their entire list of different beverages. They've got everything from Nipahs to IPAs to sours to lagers to stouts. They got they've got they've got a lot. Um, and so I've got one here called Weekend at Tinos. This is from the Algarve Rock Brewery. It is a 6.5% Nipah New England IPA and so far, I haven't drunk any of it, but it's got a cool label on it, so that's good.
0: Oh yeah, you got to scalp the label. That's uh I always used to go for beers based on their label because even if the beer is bad, at least you could you could scalp the label, put in a scrapbook or something. You know, you always got to get that value.
1: Yeah, but except these are cans where the label's like printed on. You can't like rip it off. So I don't know how this sucker's going to go on a scrapbook. Mm.
0: Oh, wow. Well, yeah, I think. Yeah, once when I was really diehard about this stuff, I'd just take a pen knife and then just cut the uh, the edge, the main edge of the can off. <laughs> and, and your hand and your in. fingers. Yeah.
1: Boaz now has two fingers left because he scalped cans too many times. while well, well, under lot of, the influence.
0: I do actually have a lot of scars on my fingers from uh, custom <laughs> stencils when I was still at school, though I've not managed to uh, incur any injuries from uh, my beer scalping days.
1: I've got I've got one on my thumb that I got when I was younger and I was opening a can of cat food and I sliced my thumb, up, thumb open on the cat food tin lid and ever since I've had this inbuilt fear of anything that's made from aluminum or tin or whatever and cutting the it's, it's it's a it's left a mental and physical scar still got it on my thumb <gasps> tiny little scar every time I look at it I go ah that fucking cat food lid
0: well the cat probably thought that uh you know imp- increased the uh flavour for, for that day. Probably a treat.
1: <laughs> Just a bit of blood mixed in with its yep. mm, like my foods, owner. salmon and eel <laughs> or whatever it is that they ate.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, cats are cats are a funny one. Yeah, uh, yeah, you yeah, uh, have you you brought your pets over to Portugal son?
1: Yeah, my cat's really pissed at me now. Although he is sitting right here next to me, I think I'm. I, th- I think I'm his only friend left. Um, oh. now nah, the boys. The boy. No, nah, the boys love him to death. Um, yeah. So the cat and the dog came. Uh, so the cat has gone from. Where'd you go from, mate? You went from Australia to the UK, uh, and then to Portugal, which doesn't sound like a lot, except it's like nine different houses over that journey as well. So. He is well and truly sick of moving, I can guarantee you that.
0: Kitty's racking up the flight miles, huh? Greta Thunberg's going to have a heart attack.
1: <laughs> she would not like my cat. To be fair, he wouldn't like her much either, I don't think.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah we, have had, we have plenty to discuss, Sam. It has been a year. Um, yeah, starting off, I thought we could, uh, yeah, I found this fantastic quote in the FT. Regarding the departure of Bernard Looney, the CEO oh, yeah. of British Petroleum, oh, who, uh, balls, eh? Mm, <laughs> yeah, this is a man who uh, really, really liked his colleagues. You know, know, yeah, he was a company man in maybe the worst sense of the you word. Know,
1: like, I mean, when you talk about human relations, a HR department, I don't, mm. I think, like, he epitomises what human relations in an organisation are all about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What's that, uh, Bill Clinton quote? I did not have sexual relations with that woman. (laughs) I imagine that he was probably saying (laughs) something similar to the board because he was fired not too long ago for not disclosing past relationships. And, um, now since then, uh, the board found that they, or the says that they were informed of new relationships, which somehow they didn't know before. But in all of the reporting on this, it appears to have been a massive open secret at BP that Bernard Looney was just banging all of the ladies at the office and had done this for a very long time. And to the point where some of the ladies were in the office were referring to the women who Bernard had pursued as Bernadette's. But there was this one quote from um, a retired senior uh, BP executive. Uh, Quote, this was Bernard's primary external activity. Other people whittle or fish or restore old cars. That was not what Bernard did, said a former BP senior executive who left company a few years ago after a long career. Quote, we're not talking about your average guy at work who has one or two or three affairs at the office. That's not the playing field we're on. So the average guy of work having one or two or three affairs at the office, I've got to say, Sam, uh, yeah, damn. And uh, he had no idea that this was just the life at your average uh, oil oil company.
1: Huh? I, I feel like that quote came from somebody that's that's been a corporate lifer as well, like clearly yeah. on the cusp of death, um, living in the uh, – the, the, what was that TV show? Um, Mad Men. Was it Mad Men?
0: Right, yeah, yeah.
1: Living in that, that world, both, I think, nostalgically and mentally. Um, but that was, that, that's probably corporate culture of oil and gas and banking. And basically any company with more than a 500 headcount, I reckon, over the last 30 years.
0: Any company but with more. Does that include non-profits, Sam? Is Amnesty International like this?
1: Uh, they're, they're worse, aren't they, from what I hear?
0: That's true, actually. yeah. Or, yeah, or, is, that, or is, that, is,
1: is that only illegal human relations that, that mm. they're good at?
0: Mm. Good question. Good question. I, I find this quite interesting.
1: Should we dive into Oxfam, or should we leave that for another day?
0: I think we should leave that for another day. Come on, <laughs> we've just restarted. We can't get cancelled immediately, rest-
1: Just restarted.
0: Jesus. Yeah, we'll get shot at the first hurdle. I thought it was ironic with the fact that this is an oil company. So, you know, plunging fertility rates in the developed world is something that has now become something of a zeitgeist.
1: Was was, was plunging an intentional pun? Or...
0: Uh, no, it wasn't, actually. Uh, maybe <laughs> subconsciously it was. Uh, and it would appear that uh, in the developed world, which is now very anti-oil and gas in a lot of ways. Here I am in Scotland, oh, where you're not really allowed man. to drill anymore. So it would appear that... Here. Yeah, not allowed to drill in Scotland anymore, <laughs> and uh, and the and the oil companies are they're they're trying to keep the fertility rates up. You know they're doing their best. Not only are they drilling oil and gas in order to make us you know heat our homes, drive our cars, but they're also doing their bit to increase increase birth rates in uh, in the UK.
1: He was drilling the Bernadettes. Let's let's just say what everyone's
0: thinking. Yeah, he was. Bernadette he
1: he had his exploration license out, and he was trying to drill those wells, and then when he was done, he'd plug them up and sell them onto someone else. Good on you, Burn. What, what a legend.
0: It is a bit ironic, though, because he was the big green <laughs> guy. Out. So he, he was the guy who was going against all the oil and gas. So yeah, maybe it's not in keeping.
1: Well, that's not really doing his bit for the green agenda if he's looking to overpopulate the, the the world. I mean, seems like he seems like he's a walking oxymoron, or maybe just a walking moron. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, I, I would think the latter, uh, given how he seems <laughs> to have screwed this up. I think he was in BP since he was 21, and uh, yeah, made it to the CEO and then burned out real quick.
1: It does go to show you, though, that those that have been penciled in for success from early on within the corporate hierarchies uh, basically get kissed on the dick figuratively and literally all the way through to the to the
0: top. Uh,
1: you wonder if it ever changes, but then you hear stuff like this and you go, nah, doesn't change, right. does it?
0: Yeah. I spoke to a buddy of mine who's now in the insurance industry. Uh, he's an actuary in you know, Lloyd's of London, with all the syndicates and whatever. I I thought that this was like the last untouched city of London, macho culture place. Where, Clearly
1: not untouched.
0: <laughs> well, well, I mean that's the thing. So I thought it was it was still like that. Um, but he was like, no, there are no boozy lunches anymore, and HR well, for,
1: true. Uh, That is true.
0: So maybe maybe it's not case. but he, then but then he did tell me. Uh, he had had uh, he's got a buddy of his who's working for a bank in the city (laughs) (laughs) on his fourth affair (laughs) no, well this guy wasn't so this guy's more of a millennial, this seems like an old guy kind of thing to do, that said Bernard Lilley was not that old however in this case um, this guy had gone for a dinner he was for the honchos he was a a good performer so he was sitting next to the chief executive right? Mm -hmm. and he sits down next to chief executive. Chief executive does not say hello or anything. The first thing he says to this guy, the chief executive says, is who do you want to fuck most at the office? Wow. Yep. So banking, I guess, you yeah. still still got the madman vibe going on. Yeah,
1: I mean, I've, I've, I can corroborate that with stories I have heard from those in that world that there are no more – boozy lunches not well at least not like they used to be there are no big christmas parties at the end of the year with you know six figure bar tabs and all that sort of thing that that's gone they those days are over but um yeah the old Wazzy run around mad Rooters, they're still in there and they're still doing their thing so uh, yeah i think part of the culture has changed but not not so much other parts
0: Indeed, though I understand investment banking in Asia is still just as crazy as it used to be. Um, for anyone yeah. anyone listening, actually, I would thoroughly recommend a book called "Straight to Hell," uh, which is about a guy, uh, an investment banker at Citi, who then got a uh, then got a job at, got, then was offered a very big job at Goldman Sachs, and it's a fantastic look into how crazy investment banking uh, culture can be and the kind of uh, nonsense they get up to in their free time. But that's as an aside. Sam, what do you think of oil these days uh I mean, I
1: can't figure it out for a long time there. I was like, okay we, we it's it's just gonna it's gonna be like three hundred dollars a barrel and then I filled up my car at the pump two days ago at like one euro sixty one and then today it was one euro fifty eight and I'm just like, ah." Uh, okay, there's only one reason that's getting cheaper. Um, And then I heard this really cool, interesting theory, which is probably not much of a theory, around why Israel and uh, Palestine or Gaza are going at it uh, hammer and tongs at the moment, which is basically around oil and gas in terms of, I think basically they were pissed off that old Bibi Netanyahu went and ran his mouth to the UN about peace talks with um, the Middle East, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, and they were so pissed off that they were like, well, we can't have this, and that they're trying to get this oil pipeline going from Israel all the way up through Greece and into uh, Europe, and they basically didn't include palestine in those discussions and they were pissed off so they're like fuck you and then israel were like well fuck you and then they were like well now fuck you with missiles and they were like well fuck you back with more missiles and there's now still the worry that because of the oil situation and the gas situation this pipeline not getting resolved that lebanon and hezbollah are probably going to get involved and israel could be really fucked So it looks like that's got uh, some way to run on it for a while Uh, too.
0: From my perspective, I think um, the idea of uh, Israel and Saudi making peace is definitely something that would threaten Iran hugely in the region. But um, I I think that kind of goes beyond oil and gas, and uh, it's more about Iran's influence in the region and its ability to destabilize it if that did take place. I, I would lend more credence to that rather than it being a, an oil and gas story. But I have seen loads of uh, loads of folks saying, oh, it's all about, you know, these gas deposits, you know, off the, yeah. uh, off the coast, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah,
1: you know, there's two big ones, isn't there? There's one, uh, what is it, the, um, uh, I forget what the name of the, the big one right off the coast of Israel, and then there's the other big one, which is right off the coast of Palestine. Um, for the life of me. Uh, the Leviathan one, that's that's the big one off of Israel, isn't it? Leviathan, I think. And then I can't remember what the name of the other one is. It starts with a T. Off the top, top of my head, I can't remember what it's called. But that Leviathan one seems to be pumping pretty hard still. Um, but anyway, I mean, yeah. Uh, then I read something else about, um, was it uh, Saudi looking to – uh, armed themselves nuclear armed themselves as well which then uh, was going to piss off everybody else and so there's all the whole nuclear armament side of things too which i mean i don't know like i understand it, it, do you know what i always sort of <laughs> cast aside the idea of like studying po- politics and stuff at university but some of these some of these some of the political situations, particularly here in the Middle East and stuff, is, is just utterly fascinating to me. How it, how how one hand feeds the other and then whacks the other one with a giant fucking machete. Um, yeah. And anyway, it's just interesting. There's a buy note.
0: I'm sure. It's a. Uh, it's a yeah. you I mean, if you'd study the Middle East for decades, there'd probably still be more to learn. And uh, everyone, of course, has an opinion on whatever goes on in the Middle East. So, yeah, they probably don't. So they throw up for all that long. Uh, yeah, like no. I don't,
1: I don't, I don't really understand any of it. Like I, I hear, I, like when people tell me about it, I'm like, oh, okay, well that makes sense. And I kind of vaguely know about the whole situation, but like the the intricacies of of all of it, from the religion to the oil and gas money and and all of it, it's just like I don't have time. Sure. Someone else figure that shit out. I don't think anyone could ever figure that shit out. That shit hasn't been figured out for thousands of years. Uh, it's probably not going to get figured out in the next 10.
0: I remember when Trump was in office and Jared Kushner was uh, doing his thing in the Middle East. He, uh, I think he said he'd read a few books on the Israel Palestine issue. And as a result, he considered himself <laughs> informed enough. That said, during, uh, during Trump's tenure, there wasn't any massive explosions. But uh, mm. you know the um, the attacks on October seventh have definitely been in the works for a very long time. So who knows how successful it really was underneath? Um, but yeah, but on oil, Sam, you think? Uh, yeah, what's your what's your take? Are you bullish, bearish?
1: Well, I wanted to be bullish, but I, I I'm kind of bearish on it now. Um, it's I I mean. Uh, it just feels like there's too many people pulling too many strings to ever accurately figure out where the fuck it's going. So I don't know, man. It's like oh, you go, oh, yeah, it's, it's going higher. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, someone goes, oh, we're just going to fucking flood the market with supply. And it's like back down to like 70 bucks a barrel. and You're like, yeah. Oh, well. I had no idea that was coming. Couldn't foresee that. It's, it's, it's too wild for me. Uh, the oil oil price. I don't know, what's your take on it?
0: Yeah, it's a crazy one because um, everyone obviously, we all, we need an awful lot of oil to keep things going, but of course there's plenty of supply that gets brought online. And mm. I'm thinking, you know, recession, if the yield curve can still be trusted at all, uh, yield curve would suggest that we're going to, we're entering, yeah, uh, recession is about to start, or is, is starting in the US. Um, but, yeah, even a recession doesn't necessarily mean the oil price should be low because, yeah. uh, you know, post 2008, we had a massive oil boom um, and commodity price in general just kept rising post 2008, which a lot of people attributed to quantitative easing. But it doesn't appear that that really was what was going on at all. So even when economic uh, decline would appear to be in the works, betting against oil doesn't always work either. So it's a tricky one. That's for
1: sure. Well, we all driving around in cyber trucks now, anyway, so it doesn't really matter.
0: Yeah, isn't that, I'm, isn't I'm, that I'm supposed very, to be how it works. I'm very skeptical on the green revolution, alas. You know, I, I wanted flying to, uh,
1: cars, and they gave me a really big, ugly looking 4x4. It's
0: got a lot of torque, though. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. I saw it do it. I saw it do it, uh, a Tractor pull. Thing uh yesterday and it pulled pulled a tractor, which is fucking great because all those times I need to pull a tractor, <laughs> yeah, thank you
0: got it. God for
1: the Cybertruck. I mean, Sorted. yeah, any like everybody that competitive everybody knows that like on weekends everyone with EVs competitively pulls tractors. It's it's just a known thing in the EV world, so it's it's, it's, it's perfect. It's perfect, right, for, for all your weekend activities of pulling tractors. Your everyone's sorted now. It's it's mm. phenomenal, really. So, although to be fair, I kind of rag on it a little bit because it's a fucking ugly, b fucking humongous, and c fucking unnecessary. But they have done some pretty cool shit on the inside of it, like in talking about how they wire um, vehicles. So they've completely redesigned how vehicles are wired, um, using like Ethernet ports with, uh, and cabling with 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 power through them i don't know the exact technical i'm not an engineer but from what i understand and the way i've seen the the wiring diagrams compared to sort of your regular car or suv or or anything really they've completely changed the game on how they're manufactured and i think they've used something like 70 something percent less looming and copper or something in the in the the cyber truck which is fucking nuts man like real game changer it Somebody I saw a cool quote, and it was like, if you think the outside of the Cybertruck looks wild, wait till you see what's inside it, which is a fair call, I think.
0: Mm. Yeah, I was uh, – yeah, this is actually really so, um Yeah, comment I was going to make is, uh, I've spoken to a guy who'd been in the oil industry for decades, and he was still saying that an energy – You know, there's going to be a full uh, trans- transition to electric vehicles in 10 years, which I thought was just an astonishing – uh, you know, astonishing assumption to make, uh, especially for someone in the oil industry. And uh, I think the Tesla Model S contains one and a half miles of copper wire. So if they've managed to actually reduce that a lot for trucks, it's quite impressive.
1: Yeah, look, I think so, and I don't, I don't, I'm not against EVs. I just think that they're not practical. For most people but that's more an infrastructure problem not an ev problem like when you look at evs they have typically have lower center of gravity which makes them more stable on the road they do tend to be heavier f- for the time being that's until battery technology improves and the batteries get lighter and more efficient so they do need things like special tires which actually have a higher damage to the environment rating than most in internal combustion engine cars but no one wants to talk about tires because they're yep. boring um but they do have more torque they're better accelerating they are heavier so they're not necessarily better handling but they're cool and there's less maintenance uh if they can be rebuilt with these sorts of you know new wiring looms and and and, and schematics then you're using less materials to go into it. So there is a better impact for the environment for that side of things. And being good for the environment is not a bad byproduct of these, these things. So I'm not against EV. It would be nice if they looked better, although the Porsches look nice and the Audis look nice. Uh, the Teslas all look like a hat full of assholes. Um, but it would be cool. I mean, I, I, I can believe a 10-year EV transition, but the infrastructure has to be there. And there's no way I see that happening in 10 years.
0: Yeah, I mean, arguably are not, you know, surely most forms of cool transport are doable if the infrastructure was there. So, yeah, jetpacks would probably be doable if the infrastructure was there. Flying cars, you know, they had those in the, I think it was the 50s or 60s where you could convert one of these small hatchbacks into uh, into a plane and then take off on the road and stuff. But, yeah, the, you know, the infrastructure isn't really there for everybody to be doing that. So it does come no. down to an infrastructure, and at the end of the day, our, our government's really spending all that money on it. In Scotland, here, you know, we've got yeah. they, they've made a big you know move of saying we're all really green and whatever, but even then, you find a huge amounts of problems with uh, these charging points they've got everywhere.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's the other thing, right? Is that you are you are rolling out uh, infrastructure technology that is not perfect and does not have one hundred percent uptime. And you know n- not all petrol pumps are always in service either, but you're not waiting you know half an hour <laughs> to fill up a car or somebody else's you know if if there was and this is where I think the technology side of things comes into play is that if you don't have to plug the car in, but much in the same way as that you can wirelessly charge a phone, you could wirelessly charge a car that's your game-changing infrastructure. Now, that's being developed and worked on that kind of stuff, but it's not even close for you know mass rollout into places, and the, the car makers aren't really building in the tech for that either. But it's been around for a number of years, like at least five to ten years wireless charging tech for cars has been there, but it's just never really reached a commercial development point. But if that was to be the case... Like I know in south korea there's there's like a bus route and there's like a bus that's an e v bus, and it dynamically charges around the route because every time it passes over a little wireless pad on the on the bus route, it gives it a bit of extra charge, so it's kind of like perpetually charged with with energy because of the wireless charging pads on its route now that's it you know. that's a pretty big infrastructure rollout to do that on on roads and stuff. But that's the kind of thing that, that goes from, you know, internal combustion engines dominating to everyone has an EV that that's what you need.
0: Mm. Yeah. And of course all this costs money and uh, rising in trade straight environment. Uh, It's hard to, hard to make these big, big uh, spending pledges um
1: yeah and look M- mbs in the middle east and like all the all the bernard bernie bernie Bernadette fuckers of the world um they don't they don't necessarily want to be given up the the grift they don't want to um they don't want to see you know the bp's and shells and exxon's of this world don't want to see themselves be worthless and i can guarantee all the insurance companies and pension funds invested interests in government don't want to see that either so 10 years is not happening.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, generally, uh, I, I find it hard to see the... Uh, yeah, I, I just think hydrocarbons are going to be massively important, probably for the rest of my life.
1: Huh. Hey, that should be the name of the next beer you commission, hydrocarbons.
0: Hydrocarbons, yes. Yeah, we should actually get back into the into the beer commissioning game. Speaking of which, I'm currently <laughs> drinking a uh, a beer, a Goose, by a brewery called Cantillon, which is, uh, I would highly recommend Cantillon to anybody who likes their um, sort of in-house fermentation stuff or in-bottle fermentation stuff. Um, they're a really old uh, brewery, and uh, this one's just called Goose, but that's just like the type of the beer. But Cantillon Goose is very good, would recommend if you like something uh, pretty yeasty. Sam, how would you rate your beer?
1: Oh yeah, I forgot we rate these things too. It's Mm. been a while. Bit dusty. Bit rusty. Bit rusty and dusty. Not so dusty, just rusty. (laughs) Is dusty dusty a word that people outside of Australia know? Like in terms of drinking culture? Don't think so. Not a thing. Um, When you're a little bit hungover the next day, you say you're a bit dusty?
0: Oh really? No, I've never heard this.
1: Okay. Well, that's why I said I was dusty, but then I'm actually not dusty because I wasn't drinking last night. <laughs> um, so say, so say, saying I'm dusty is actually inaccurate, but I am rusty because I forgot that we have to rate these things. Mm. I'm actually just trying to find um, the... I'm trying to find our... Our archive. Our, our archive. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> wow. Wow. It's big. That's what Bernard, That's what the Bernadette said. Um Right. Okay. So, I would give this? weekend at Tino's with the funky label the Nipa six point five percent. Lucky it's a small can, or I would be dusty tomorrow. Um, I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. You know, um, I, I I'm struggling to find the words to describe it, but I'll give it a B minus. You might have to refresh our listeners' memory on how weird. Convoluted inverse rating system, too, I think.
0: Mm, yeah. So, to anybody who is new to the podcast, the Boos booms, and busts, uh, with the name, with the acronym Triple B, uh, as it's a financially, uh, sort of motivated podcast, well, not financially motivated, as we do discuss uh, finance a lot, we thought it'd be cool to do credit ratings. So, uh, Except with credit ratings, it generally goes triple A being the best, and then triple C being the worst. So with Booze, booms and Buffs, it goes uh, triple B and triple A. So triple B being the best beer ever, and then uh, triple A minus being uh, the worst beer ever. So triple B, then uh, double B, then single B, then A, double A, triple A. So for this one, this is actually very solid. I'm going to give it a double B, as it is uh, fantastic. Do you ever wow. hear, have you ever heard about the the Cantillon effect, by any chance, Sam? Uh,
1: I have, um, but I think you best explain it.
0: Mm, yeah, well, I thought it'd be uh, apropos as we are discussing finance and whatnot, and this beer, uh, this brewery is called Cantillon. So there's a guy called Cantillon uh, way back in the day who managed to make an enormous fortune for himself. He was a trader, but he was also a trader, sort of. Uh, Economist as well. He figured out his own rules for how finance worked, and then used that to his advantage. It's got a fascinating story because it it there is enough evidence to suggest that uh, after making a massive fortune, that he faked his own death and then disappeared into obscurity, and nobody nobody knew what happened to him after that. So he made all the money, and then got out there. And I think he he traded two massive epic bubbles. Uh, I think it was in the in the 18th century, and then managed to get away with it. But the Cantillon effect is something he described, whereby if you are simply close to the source of money creation, uh, your money will get, you will, you will, you know, accrue money somehow. So, for example, if you're physically located near a central bank, then the building you are in will just go up in in value just because you are close to the money supply. And people, into, uh, people who are critical of uh, central banks easing policies over, over the years have talked about the Cantillon effect taking place and uh, using this as an explainer as to why all of the capital cities in the Anglo world and indeed in Japan, uh, where there's been a huge amount of money printing, or if you went to a hyperinflationary environment like Venezuela or Zimbabwe, you will find that anywhere that's simply close to where the money is being created will go up in value an awful lot. And uh, you'll find some Bitcoiners use this as well because they're, just, they're always about uh, currency debasement and such.
1: But but hang on, if I if I stand outside of Manchester United's training ground for long enough, is that going to make me? Is that going to make my my myself richer as well? Is that how it works?
0: Well, if you manage to buy some of the land beside it where you are <laughs> tenting, you know where you're camping out, then yes, Sam, you will. You know, in uh, in Scotland, they've got these weird r- rules around law. So Scotland's very, it's more authoritarian than England is. But uh, if you actually just like camp somewhere, in theory at least, you camp somewhere for long enough to the point where it looks like you've lived there for an awfully long time, you can actually claim the land as your own, provided that it was pretty vague as to whoever owned it in the first place, and they don't kick you off it. So may, I would imagine outside Man City training ground. Yeah, there's probably a lot of people there. They probably kick you off it, and you are in England, so these rules may not apply. But if you head up to uh, head up to Scotland, you know, I imagine some of what these t- ranges. Yeah,
1: camp outside of Rangers.
0: Well, you know, the the jurors <laughs> fans, the Huns. Uh, I think they may object to that. But uh, if you could find, do you know what? Off, I tell you what. Maybe. If
1: you're if you're tenting outside of ranges and you're there long enough that it looks like you own the land, you probably fucking deserve the land. To be honest. <laughs> Do you support a football team, sir? Um well, yeah, sort of. I <laughs> sort of. Uh I support an Australian rules football side, but in terms of soccer football. So uh-huh. football football, but yeah. for people like me, soccer football. Um I I guess family ties had me had me in the Wolverhampton Wanderers camp.
0: Oh Wolves, nice. Uh
1: and now, funnily enough, being in Portugal, and this is going to sound real weird, there's a lot of Wolves supporters in Portugal because a lot of the teams that the Wolves have fielded over the last few years have been heavily dominated by Portuguese players because of the super agent uh, bloke that gets all the, all the big megastars into into teams, and he's a Portuguese dude. And Anyway. So basically the Wolves at one point were basically like the Portuguese national side minus Cristiano Ronaldo and a couple of other really, really good guys. But so there's this, you can you can be around Portugal and see cars with like Wolves stickers on the back of them and you will look and go, uh, that's not right. And then you piece it together and you go, oh, that makes perfect sense. So, I have left the country, but the Wolves have followed me. Um, so, yeah, looks like I'm going to be stuck with them from a fam- family family indoctrination more than anything, but conveniently now down in Portugal, which I was a little disappointed that when we first moved down here, actually, there was a chance to go and see the Portuguese national team play. Um, and it was only going to cost me €15 Euros for a ticket, but I, um, I missed that game. So I never got to see, I didn't get to see Cristiano Ronaldo play, which is a shame, because I figure if I, if I tented by his boots for long enough, the Cantillion effect of Ronaldo might rub off on me.
0: Oh, yeah. Is, uh, did you go to Saudi? That's a bit of a reverse Cantillon effect there. He's already got a huge amount of money, and then uh, he just went to where they have all the money anyway.
1: Uh, yeah, he, he's he's in Saudi and he is making obscene money. I mean, it does make you think. When is enough enough? Clearly never. But uh, yeah,
0: this <laughs> is, yeah, this is an interesting <laughs> subject actually. Way. How much is enough? So. Do you remember, Sam, back in sort of early 2010s, there was this uh, meme study that went around from some university which claimed that once you made $80,000 a year, um, the uh, marginal benefit of earning more money kind of stopped. And after that point, it was uh, sort of decreasing returns on earning more money. And this was uh, something of a meme that was set, you know, pushed out around a time post-financial crisis where obviously people were struggling to make money and it's probably tempered a lot of people's uh, ambitions, etc. And then more recently, a study's come out saying, actually, there is no cap to the amount of happiness you get from making more money. It just keeps going up and up and up and up. And uh, yeah, I feel anyone who believed that original study, maybe they got screwed.
1: Yeah, I think it's a tricky one. Because unless you're in that position, you'd never really know. And to get that kind of money, no one's, not many people are really getting to that level. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at Charlie Munger, he didn't look like a happy guy, did he?
0: Didn't act like I mean, one, that's for sure.
1: Well, that's kind of the point, right? At what point do you go, I'm so old and so wealthy now? Do you just kind of double down on the fact that you're a grumpy old fuck, or do you go, it wasn't really that worth it?
0: Yeah, I, um, I don't do you know. What? I, in I, his I, case, the, money doesn't the, seem to have made him much nicer, <laughs> but then we didn't see him when he was when he was younger, so maybe he was even grumpier.
1: Uh, somebody, there's, my wife and I have had a chuckle about this, where sometimes, like, uh, celebrity, famous person, singer or something dies. And um we're in this group with some friends and everyone's like, oh, so sad. Rest in peace. It's like, oh, I'm I'm gutted. Devastated. I'm, and my wife and I chuckle because 'cause they're just like, really? It's like you don't know you don't know who they were. It's some it's literally like some rando person dying and you're like, "Ah, oh, just gutted. Just gut just devastated. And it's like when Charlie Munger died the other day, my brother was like, oh, man, Charlie Munger died. I'm like, yep, so? And he was like, oh, but, you know, he's like a legend of inventors. It's like, now he's just a rich old dude. Rich (laughs) old dudes die all the time. Why is everyone so sad about this? He was fucking 90. Get over it.
0: He was
1: like 99 as well. It's like 99, whatever. He achieved so much. I'm like, he just made a lot of money. Why does that make him a legend? I, I, d- I just don't buy into that shit. I'm sorry. I don't care if you think Charlie Mung- Munger was a legend. I'm sure he was philanthropic and he donated a lot and stuff. But, I mean, if your claim to fame is just making a lot of money, that's great. But I'm like, kind of get over it. A lot of, a lot of people that do a lot of good things that aren't billionaires die every day and no one gives a shit. So why should we change that for him or anyone?
0: Yeah, I agree. I um, No one likes to speak Ill of the dead. Uh, but it was interesting seeing the re- reaction where people actually, like, sent me a message on Watson saying, like, R.I.P. Charlie Munger. And it's like... Yeah, it's like, what? No, <laughs> like, he was just a... Re- he was a really... And, like, in my view, a thoroughly unlikable person. Uh, but everyone's like, yeah, he was such a legend, man. And...
1: Uh, uh, I think- so, I did, I don't know the guy, but from everything I saw, he was a dick. Yeah. So, again, again, you know
0: certainly no fan of
1: bitcoin that's for sure is um no and that's not the only reason that he's a dick but you know it helps um yeah i am just a, i just think there are more important people than rich people that no one really gives the time of day to for when they pass away so and you know we you know it just happens a lot so i don't know it's just a weird social quirk it's like was it i can't I'm trying to remember who was the one that everyone was this got sad about recently. Someone famous or was it? Paul O'Grady, I think it was. I think it was Paul. Uh,
0: are you sure it wasn't? I sure it wasn't Henry Kissinger, mate?
1: Uh, no one. Ah, oh, yeah, same thing.
0: Well, it's interesting. Right. No, 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 no. It's an interesting sound. <laughs> because the rules didn't apply for Henry Kissinger. No one would the, the 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 rules really did not apply. People could say anything they wanted as soon as he died.
1: I uh, yeah.
0: yeah. It's
1: and look when I die, people I don't. The only people that I that will probably care, that should care, that that I that I care about what they think, are my kids and my wife, and like anyone else, I don't care what you think of me. (laughs) If if they liked me, then my job here is done, regardless of how rich or poor I am. So the same thing, Kissinger or Paul O'Grady or anyone. It's like okay, you know, it's great, but you didn't know them. They're gone, which is sad for the people around them. But for everyone else, it's like, yeah, let's just crack on.
0: Yeah, it's funny how people uh, people react. Probably social media is just what's made this really
1: uh, – But that's the thing, right? It's just like you – like we remember, I remember, maybe you don't, a world before social media. And there will be a world – there will be a post-social media world, right? Maybe this is getting a bit philosophical, like post-realism or post-humanism or whatever, (laughs) but there will be a post-social network. Like I don't think forever people will be logging onto Facebook or onto Twitter. I think it is definitely a – it's not going to be like a hundred-year-long thing, I don't think. So it is interesting to think what comes after that and how that kind of social communication will happen so that we can all cry over when Greta dies or something, when she's like 112.
0: Interestingly enough, there was a, yeah, I was reading a study today, which I've been well She's was looking at social media use by children. And I think it's pretty in the open that social media usage is very bad for uh, the happiness of kids. And yeah, uh, in this study they 'd actually gone into it where they were um, they're going to i think students um and uh their families and uh, and then also younger kids as well and there was this general the conclusion the study made was that uh the students would actually they'd be willing to pay for nobody else to use social media, but they felt because everyone used it they have to use it. And they get locked into it. I actually know people who really don't like using Instagram, but because all of their friends are using it, they feel that they have to. Otherwise, they'll look like a a loner or a loser. And uh, they get sort of uh, socially pressured into using it. And these companies are aware of it and that they're sort of preying on this um, fear of their their child being embarrassed or of uh, themselves being embarrassed in front of their peers. And, yeah, I think that's, yeah, I, I can... I can I can relate to this. I don't think well I, I can't relate to it because I don't use social media as a social tool at all. I think I only use X every now and then just because the content on there is pretty good for um you know current affairs and whatever. but I'm not a prolific you know Instagram user. The only time I use it is if somebody uh, really likes messaging on Instagram rather than anything else. To find in Brazil, people don't use whatsapp they just message each other on Instagram because they're so all about uh, you know f- visuals and whatever. Um, but like, uh, yeah, I mean, I deleted my Facebook probably a little over ten years ago now. Uh, I hate what it does to old people. Boomers just like love Facebook for whatever reason. They're probably susceptible to the same social pressure. I don't really see it as a good thing. At the same time, I don't really want the government to just outlaw it because then, um, I, you know, it's a, at the end of the day, it is up to your your choices what it's doing to you. I think most people are aware that this um the more you stare at a screen you know it's maybe not the best use of your time and it's probably not making you that much happier that then again um, plenty of people probably aren't even aware of it it's weird how sometimes you'll just take your phone out of your pocket and look at it for notifications without even thinking about it it's just become like a conditioned response and it's not very good for you like it is at the end of the day this is not good for you at all but you know i i think banning this stuff is probably not the right approach i think people just need to be much more conscious of uh how predatory a uh, technology can be.
1: Yeah. Pred- predatory social media is, is, is legit. And it, it, it's funny when you, when, as soon as you said the word predatory social media, I was like, it made me think of like predatory AI I've been seeing a bunch of these videos um, over the last week, I think where it's like, you can animate any image and turn it into an AI. And so now there's all these like AI girlfriends popping up on oh, sure, yeah. social media, funnily enough. But like people are paying for access to these AI
0: girlfriends, yep. I think. I
1: don't know. It's very strange.
0: Yeah, it's very sad. There's just a lot of lonely men out there. Uh, you know, it's much easier to just chat over a phone than to actually speak to a woman person. So they're just, uh, yeah, they just get suckered into it. And as a result, it hinders their own development and their hopes of future happiness. Pretty depressing.
1: Yeah, I wonder if makes me think of like maybe there's like a space for a platform that's like um, oh, what's that thing? Uh, oh, like OnlyFans, but just for AI people.
0: I think that already exists. You know, uh, a buddy of mine, who's uh, also in the in the Web three space, uh, he's a software engineer, completely crazy guy. Uh, he's um, he's from Poland, but he's raised in Northern Ireland, and uh, is the most sort of anti-authority person that I've uh, I've ever met. And he's always like he's very well uh, read, and he uh, so he he always comes up with these incredibly contrarian takes on everything, trying to convince me that the Spanish in- Inquisition was actually actually a good thing because it paved the way for uh, you know Europe, <laughs> European common law and things like that really crazy crazy chap, but he was playing around with one of these um sort of ai AI girlfriends, and it's you know is a, is a you know stable diffusion kind of thing where they're taking uh that you've got a base model of like the girlfriend you want and then you send it messages and you know it'll respond uh in in whatever way that it's been uh, conditioned to and in one of these it was hilarious it was a very classic thing for him to do uh, he asked he asked this girlfriend to uh, to dress up as a chechen for him uh because he's really into like the chechen wars and stuff and because the amount very specific very specific, very specific. and because the amount of images online that this model is pulling for it through is very much limited to the chechen wars the, the girl, the AI model, then dressed up as effectively a uh, one of these uh, fighters wearing full uh, combat fatigues and sporting a beard, which I found very <laughs> amusing indeed.
1: Could you imagine you like, create me an AI girlfriend and it, it pops up? with yeah a beard although from my own personal experience with ai avatars they don't deal with beards very well oh really it makes them does some weird stuff to the ai algorithms
0: what's up with that is this is this a uh, is this discrimination that the uh, software engineers have put into it sam can, there, can those guys just not grow a beard
1: <laughs> it's it's like the, the, the physics engine or something c- couldn't deal with a, a beard and the
0: the <laughs>
1: The, the natural movements of facial hair—it was very strange. I think um, Paolo described it to me as uh, "it looks like it looks like you're a pelican."
0: Wow, that's a very specific image. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe this is a good way. So, when we when we've got all the facial recognition stuff going on, Sam, for all of the CCTV cam- cameras, <laughs> we just all sport beards, or should we wear fake beards and then take them off or something? <laughs>
1: Oh my God. Speaking of like facial recognition and stuff and AI, I saw a thing where, um, I, I don't know if this is true, but it's like a ring that you put on your hand that makes it look like you've got an extra finger coming off oh, the yes. top of your hand. Yep. So that, so that in like, um, cctv footage it looks like your hands like an ai generated hand yeah and so the, the the legal argument would be that it's an ai generated image because look at the weird looking hand because that's like a known ai weird thing that it does
0: yeah ai can never get hands well uh, more recently it can but yeah it's a it's a good foil i think this is going to make for some really weird heist movies in the future don't you think
1: um <laughs> it'll make for some really good costume design i think
0: well, that's for sure you know sam it would be uh yeah it would be strange for us to be doing one of these podcasts and not talking about the state of of crypto at the moment so uh you know you want to mm. chime in there's been uh, an interesting ride
1: yeah man um right so when did we do our
0: last one a little over a year ago i think ago. when
1: we did it was a little over a year so crypto was pretty much in the toilet, wasn't
0: it? Yeah, that was post FTX, mm. I think.
1: Right. Yeah. There's a bit of bit of clearing house with FTX, wasn't it? Um, well, which looks like the US is now clearing house with Binance. Yep. So that's so that's so the US has sort of cleared the pathway for BlackRock and Fidelity and Invesco and all those guys to get their ETFs off the ground for the spot Bitcoin. So that's good for them and good for pension funds around the world. Um look, I think it's quite simple that we're going to head into another cycle. I've been saying that since the last cycle. And I think it's going to be another one. So that should be fun. 2024 could be interesting. Another blow the blow the roof off Bitcoin cycle drags altcoins higher. I wonder where the next Solana is coming from. Is there such thing as a next Solana, the the Solana of the 2024 bull market cycle? Is that a thing yet? Oh, Should it be? Can it be?
0: Sam, I mean the the idea of the next Solana was already coined uh, <laughs> over a year ago. So Sui and Aptos. Are both attempts by oh, venture okay. capitalists to just copy and paste the same thing with a few tweaks, in my view.
1: <laughs> or is it, or is the 2024 cycle about the the Ordinals uh, revolution, the Bitcoin layer two? Is that uh, is that is that where it's going?
0: The idea of a Bitcoin uh, NFTs layer coming two. back. Oh yeah, sure. Carry on. Sorry.
1: No, you know you answer that. You can you can answer. First. Oh, well,
0: I, I think the idea of a Bitcoin layer two that's not Lightning Network uh, seems seems hard. Uh, hard, but yeah, maybe very clever guys <laughs> working in the space.
1: Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to NFTs coming back. I think they'll come back. I think NFTs will be a thing again. I think people will pay stupid money for stupid pictures again, which is exciting.
0: Did you hear about the uh, Mutant Apes party in Hong Kong, where a bunch of people went blind oh my god, afterwards?
1: Oh god! Where they all got their eyes eyes burnt because some they installed like UV lights instead of black lights. Yeah, that's literally one of the funniest things. I saw a video from that as well, and it's just a bunch of dudes dancing around in a circle.
0: Not a woman. That's one of the funniest things.
1: One of the funniest fucking things I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, Bernard Looney <laughs> would not be a fan of the Mutant Apes yacht club.
1: But that, I mean, look, that does raise a really, really fucking interesting question, right? Like, where are
0: all the girls? Probably spending, probably spending their time on more serious. productive efforts. I, I would hazard. Serious. Like,
1: why? Why is it that this is a young male-dominated thing, right? Okay. Well, well I, I, don't get me wrong. I know there's. I know there's lots of girls in crypto. And I know that there's a lot of really smart girls working away at a whole bunch of different stuff, but then you see shit like that, and it's like, fuck! A, it is a, there's the some serious bro culture overdrive, overstimulation in crypto?
0: I'm not even sure it's bro culture. Like bro culture, when I think of it, is like U.S. fraternities or something, where there's generally like, a, you know, that we're gonna go meet the ladies later crypt in, like in web3 in certain communities like there really just aren't many women there at all and um you know you go to conferences you will meet plenty of women there and different blockchains have hmm. uh you know better or worse ratios i think um I, well i think it comes down to a lot of this is driven by software engineers who are often on the spectrum <laughs> and, and are not the most socially uh, apt people adept people uh then at the same time you have people who just buy um nfts for status like you'd buy uh you know fancy watches or bling or something like that and that doesn't lend itself too much to um yeah to ladies in general but i said you know i've met i've met plenty of ladies it does seem like there's more of them now sometimes uh you know a lot of the time they're not working in software engineering roles which uh is you know not uh, not the Well, i mean it's good that there's more women in space i mean i'm not a software engineer but uh often you find there are some uh organizations where they are hiring women just because they need to hire women which is not uh you know it's not the most productive i don't think so yeah i mean at the end of the day uh, i would i would determine people who work in crypto as extremely online and that doesn't uh, lend itself too much to To ladies as much as it does to guys, I think.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I I think you're right. I think from a development point of view, that yeah, it's probably male dominated because software and engineering tends to be, or software engineering tends to be male dominated anyway. Um, I'd be interested to see what the sort of gender ratio breakdown is of people who hold crypto or aren't engineers that have crypto. I wonder if that would be more even.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I, I will say...
1: Or NFT owners. Who owns all the NFTs? Probably just dudes.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are exceptions, certainly. Uh, I've met a few, but um, in terms of the bulk of it, I think with NFTs as well, a lot of it is pure speculation, and that lends itself more. Gamblers yeah. are, are generally more men than women. Um, yeah, but I will say, like just the number of organisations that are exclusively women in in crypto. There's definitely been those. so you get ones where it's you know only only ladies are allowed to be members, etc., etc. But they are exceptions rather than the rule.
1: Yeah, this is an interesting social quirk. Certainly, hmm. I don't know if it'll change. Probably won't change. Speculative speculation. Tends to go hand in hand with blokes, but then I don't know. I, I go, I want to like it's like it's like sports betting as well. I get sports betting, but again, overly dominated by young males.
0: But come on, Um, Sam, you're you're a crypto maxi. Surely we are moving beyond speculation in the future, maybe even the near future.
1: Well, that's what I'm hoping will change in maybe the next cycle, and the, the 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 institutional indoctrination of people makes lends itself to less of the speculative side of things. I don't know. That's why I I still can't make my mind up if sort of instos coming into the space is a good or a bad thing. I mean, if I wind back the clock to sort of 2010, 2011, I'm like, nah, institutions in crypto would be the worst thing humanly imaginable. But they're also a gateway to a huge chunk of the population that probably wouldn't do anything until the institutions got involved. So, I don't know. All
0: that it's boomer money. All that boomer money. Maybe that's what's going to fuel the yeah. next cycle.
1: Yeah, well, maybe so. Maybe, the, maybe that's the money that then that – maybe that's the gateway for, you know, their children who they've tried to indoctrinate into the boomer way of life, uh, getting into it and you know maybe it spreads and maybe that's maybe that's the generational thing right it's that it's a 150 200 year game not a not a 10 year game
0: mm. well we shall find out we are getting on a little bit of time some any remaining topics you'd like to cover this week
1: i think it's a pretty good start we've talked about um the old pants man at bp and the cool cool internals of the Cybertruck through to um NFTs and why there aren't many women in crypto. It's quite the breadth of topics and we, we, we hopefully won't be cancelled by anybody. I mean I mean, it depends on who's listening.
0: It does indeed. But
1: but our five our five listeners, you know, if only one of them cancels us, then that that's still a net positive, I think, isn't it?
0: Yeah, for the, for the future of civilization, we must never hold positions of of any merit at all.
1: Just, is, there any, is any of this going to come back one day when, when, when one of us is running for office?
0: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> when we run for office, somebody is going to go, you know, some special advisor is going to listen to all of our episodes yeah. of News Booms and Bust. They're going to record That'd every like soundbite. Your
1: sexual, your sexual innuendos about drilling and plugging... Wells is incompatible with our policies.
0: Yeah, we have referred you to HR. And
1: guess who it's headed up by? Bernard Looney.
0: (laughs) Fantastic. Well, I think that's a good... Come
1: full circle.
0: I think that's a good place to end this uh, (laughs) re-inaugural episode, Sam. It's great to have you back. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to do another one of these pretty soon um and to everybody who has been listening hope you have enjoyed uh this episode I hope you enjoyed the one we did with Nikolai not too long ago as well that was uh good fun but it wasn't
1: as good come on it wasn't as good was well
0: it? i'll leave that to the audience to decide a <laughs> anyway until next time <laughs> they'll be like get Nikolai back get Nikolai back <laughs> thanks very much for watching folks oh for listening anyway and uh we'll uh, we'll hear you in the next one Bye bye